Welcome to Season 2 of Museum Secrets. I'm your host, Lucy Dawkins, and every week I'll be taking you behind the scenes at the Ashmolean. There are a million objects here in the museum, each with its own hidden story. Come on in as we track down the weird and wonderful among them to give us a bite-sized pick-me-up in these challenging times. It's been an amazing few days here at the museum, as the massive front doors have swung open for the first time in nearly five months. It's wonderful to have you back inside the museum, bringing the galleries to life again. And it's all thanks to the vaccine rollout. Curator Matthew Winterbottom has been thinking about different ways of fighting disease in history, starting in an unexpected place. The Ashmolean's jewellery collections. Over to Matthew. One display that always attracts lots of attention from our visitors is the colourful case of medieval and Renaissance finger rings in our Arts of the Renaissance Gallery. Brightly lit and full of beautiful rings made from gold, silver and precious stones, it is no wonder that this feast for the eyes is so popular. However, in amongst them, you will find a small group of four decidedly dour-looking rings in the section devoted to magical jewellery. They are all made of gold or silver, and set with domed circular stones of opaque brownish-grey colour. They certainly wouldn't win any beauty contests, especially when compared with the colourful rubies, amethysts and sapphires shown nearby. These are known as toadstones, or buffanites, from the Latin buffo for toad, and they have a long history in Europe of being worn as protective amulets or charms. The toadstone rings in the Ashmolean are all 16th or 17th century, but Pliny the Elder mentions toadstones as far back as the 1st century AD, and we know they continue to be worn into the 18th century. Toadstones were believed to have magical, curative and protective qualities, especially when it came to poison. Since toads are poisonous, the logic went that toadstones could defend against poison. And not only that, they could also detect it. They were supposedly most effective when worn against the skin, and so many toadstones have open backs so that the stone is in direct contact with the wearer's finger. If the wearer was poisoned, the stone was thought to heat up, sweat and change colour, alerting the wearer to the danger they were in. If a person was bitten by a venomous creature, a toadstone would be touched against the affected part as a cure. In short, toadstones were the original rapid testing kit and vaccine all rolled into one. Except, of course, it was all superstition. And toadstones were thought to be a real cure-all. As well as poison, they were also believed to cure epilepsy, then known as falling sickness, dropsy and kidney disease, as well as being useful cures for sores, fevers, bowel problems and pains in labour. They were even said to prevent ships from sinking and houses from burning and bring victory to the wearer in war. Given their many supposed powers, toadstones were a popular piece of jewellery. Mounted in expensive gold or more bodice silver or even base metal rings, they were worn by all levels of society. In fact, most precious and semi-precious stones were believed to have wonder-working properties with specific protective or healing abilities. These were described in medieval or early modern lapidaries, books which catalogued the supposed healing properties of different kinds of stones. For example, carrying a diamond was recommended to keep limbs healthy and to act as a shield from the dangers of wild animals and their poisons. Sapphires could also detect poison and also heal heart problems and cure ulcers. Rubies were thought to keep the wearer safe by turning black if danger was present. More mundanely, amethysts were used to avoid drunkenness. These beliefs persisted from ancient times into the 18th century and the advent of modern science and medicine. 
So amongst all these glittering gems, why were the mud-coloured little toadstones considered so powerful? And how did they get their name? Well, they were thought to resemble the colour and warty appearance of a toad's skin, and it was believed that the stones were formed inside their heads. The story went that they could only be extracted from live toads. The unfortunate creatures were either placed on a red cloth when it was said they would spit out the stone, or, alternatively, they were trapped inside a pot on top of an anthill. The ants would eventually pick away the flesh of the poor toad and reveal the stone in its head. This grim process is alluded to by Duke Senior in Shakespeare's play As You Like It, when he says, Sweet are the uses of adversity, which, like the toad, ugly and venomous, wears yet a precious jewel in its head. Despite being believed for centuries, these stories are, unsurprisingly, entirely untrue. No toadstones have ever been extracted from a toad. Toadstones are, in fact, the fossilised teeth of an extinct genus of ray-finned fish from the Jurassic and Cretaceous periods. The shallow domed teeth were used for grinding and crushing their prey. Toadstones were, and still are, found in fields and quarries, not in the heads of unfortunate amphibians. They can even be found locally in Oxfordshire Jurassic sediment. They have a naturally glossy surface, and so, unlike most gemstones, did not need to be polished before being set into rings. Many different kinds of fossils were used as charms and amulets. Before the advent of modern geology in the early 19th century, when the true age of the earth was beginning to be understood, much mystery and folklore was attached to fossils. Confusion about fossils is right at the heart of the Ashmolean's own history. In the 1670s, the first curator of the museum, Robert Plotz, acquired what was in fact the lower part of a femur of a megalosaurus. Due to its shape and size, he identified it as the scrotum of a giant. In the Christian West, the Earth was still believed to have been created in seven days rather than over billions of years. It was not recognised that fossils were the petrified remains of ancient extinct creatures. Fanciful origins and even more fanciful qualities were attached to the different types of fossils. Fossilised shark's teeth were known as tongue stones and, like toadstones, were thought to neutralise poison. Objects known as elf candles were actually belemnites or ancient squid. They were thought to be the remains of lightning strikes and so could protect against lightning. Fossilised sea urchins were even thought to help bread rise. It is easy for us today with our modern medicines to scoff at these beliefs. But in an age when terrible illness and death were constant dangers, people were willing to believe in even the most outlandish ideas. Our experiences over the past year certainly makes me sympathetic to this human capacity to find hope in the face of uncertainty but it's also a relief to remind ourselves just how far we've come. This week, as we open the doors of the museum again, we can reflect on the sheer ingenuity of the many researchers across the world who collaborated to create multiple vaccines in a few months flat. That in itself is its own kind of miracle. As I stand in front of the Ashmolean's toadstones, I'm so glad our testing and vaccine technology has developed beyond these little grey lumps. Come and visit them for yourself in Gallery 56. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. If you don't have the chance to see these magical rings in person, you can find an image in the link in the podcast notes. We do hope that you're enjoying Museum Secrets, and if so, please do rate, review and share this episode. Join us next week for the last story in this series. (laughs) 